What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Austin with FTM Alerts, and welcome to Phantom Unchained, episode number 49. With me, as always, my wonderful co-host, Nick Dracon, Crypto Clay, Justin Bevis, and the one and only Double Sharp, who apparently left the ranch this week, so we don't get him in his in his cowboy hat. But what's happening, guys? Man. No? Welcome back, big dog. I, I see you guys. Man, dude, glad to be back. I missed you guys, man. The... the, the, the the woods are great for like the first, I would say, two weeks, <laughs> maybe three weeks, right? Because my kids were at camp, and so we rented this cool house up in, up on a lake in North Carolina. In theory, it sounds great. And the first three weeks were amazing, super peaceful. The last two weeks was like watching paint dry. I, was, I, w- I would have probably given, let somebody rip my toenails out to get me back home. Uh, so here we are back. We got a shitload to talk about today, too. Uh, before I do though, Crypto Clay, excellent job holding it down. All of you guys, I watched, I, I have a confession to make. I, I watched only about like 25 minutes of one of the episodes while I was, so I honestly have no clue <laughs> what you guys talked about. And that was while I was driving and I had some decent cell signal. Ah, man, I, I, I took the route of no feedback is good feedback because like I, I hadn't heard from you. So I was like, well, I guess we're just going to keep rolling. So now y'all are doing uh, great. good, man. Beavis, you're 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 making my nipples hard breathing into the mic like that, bro. I think can we uh <laughs> can we turn that down just a little bit? <laughs> All right. So a lot has been going on uh yesterday, specifically. Like two big developments happened, uh, and we're gonna get into them, but man, the Beethoven V2 launch, which is something I know they've been working on for a long time, and the Spirit Swap V2 launch, which is an absolute behemoth that we're going to talk about, which if you guys haven't watched it yet, uh, don't do it on this episode. But after this episode, go watch Nick's uh, video that he just dropped on Spirit V2. I'll hopefully be able to get one out over the next couple of days, too. It's a it's a contender, man. It's a contender. All right. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. So the CPI print, man, the memes... The memes have been good, you know, like March 8.5, we're all wanting to hang ourselves, 8.5 in, uh, in July and August, and now, you know, apparently the roller coaster is taking off again. Uh, I've been through a few bear markets, and, you know, even if, even if the optimal scenario is that we have hit a bottom, like, and that's a big if, it takes a while to crawl out of that shit. I mean, I don't know how many people here were on uh, during the COVID slice wreck your life savings dump that happened in uh, March 12th, 13th, 14th. But that took a while to climb back out, man. And there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of bear sentiment and there's still a lot of bear sentiment right now, but let's kick it over to you guys. What, what do you make of it? Who wants it? I'm still scared. <laughs> man, y'all need some caffeine. I feel like I got I'm, a little. Maybe I got two jacks before the show. I need to put the down. <laughs> no, no one wants to hear how bearish I am, so I'll just stay silent. Because um, it, it, whenever this topic comes up, I'm like uh, doom and gloom. But um, yeah, it's not good. You know, when the president comes out and says, "Hey guys, we had zero percent inflation in July," <laughs> um, you know, uh, he's hiding something. Well, he's also he's also like not you know. There's nobody really driving the car uh, for the old <laughs> man there. 
But so yeah, but what I, I think a lot of I, people don't realize, Nick, is that you have so much information at your fingertips. And I, I realized that on our call the other day when you and I were chatting and just kind of getting an understanding of how much information you kind of have flowing to you at all times. Am I, am I correct in making that assumption? Yeah, I look at a bunch of stuff. Um, so I have 60 spreadsheets, 62, of different economic data points that they're high-frequency data points released uh, usually weekly, some of them monthly, and, and I track all of them. Some of them are in Europe, some are in the US. So there's tons of information out there if you look in the right place. And regardless of where you look, other than the TV or on Twitter, it's really, really bad in terms of what the economic outlook is over the next four quarters. Um, some really smart people that I know think that the U.S. economy is going to contract for another four quarters. That'll be uh -huh. six consecutive quarters. Now, they could be wrong. But in any event, um, if you look back traditionally and have a look at how in times of extreme inflation, and the most analogous period is 1980, um, and naturally, it was a different world back then. But in 1980, inflation peaked. And the stock market um, found a bottom in 1982. It took two years post for all of that to be wound out, hit the P&Ls of all the listed companies, and then the stock market bounced up. It took two years. So, you know, I've been selling very aggressively into every rally, um, I'm about as net short as I've been for a really long time. Um, so typically what I would do, let's say I've got $100 um, to deploy. I, I would typically be neutral where I'd have $100 in longs and I'd use the equity in the longs to add $100 in shorts, right? So I've got a balanced book. Right now, um, it would equate to me having something like $100 in longs and $160 in shorts. Um, so I... I, I think all of this is very temporary and I think the worst is to come. And, and this is related to the equity markets, by the way. And the reason I'm focusing on that is um, the crypto markets are, uh, uh, you know, there's no doubt that they, their fate is based on what happens in the equity markets and the bond markets and, 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 and the <coughs> capital flow. So I think there's going to be a lot of buying opportunities. I'm taking, you know, these rallies as good spots to sell things I don't want and short things that I think are worth less than what they are today. And and I'm just going to be patient. And I suggest everyone else does the same, whether you're bullish or bearish. It's not the time to make huge directional bets um, on one, one way or another, because there are a lot of outcomes. You know, a question for you, Nick, or anyone else that wants to, to answer this. So the wild card or the supposed wild card here is that we are in a midterm year in the United States. And for better or worse, the only thing politicians care about is getting reelected during this time. And so it, it would seem to me, at least the, the past data has shown that midterm years tend to be a net positive to some degree in the equities markets. What do you think the chances are that we do see a manipulated run up towards the November election, maybe even teetering into 2023 before the real pain hits? Sure. But what happens if there's a red wave, right? And and a lot of these Democrats that are voting to spend more money lose their seats. Mm -hmm. um, so leading up to the midterms, sure. But if if, if all the data proves right, um, the the there are going to be a lot more Republicans in the legislature than there are today. And 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 
they're not going to want to spend all this money. So mm. now it's very difficult to roll back spending once it's in place. Cutting programs, no politician wants to do that because they want to keep their jobs. But in terms of additional spending in a world where the Republicans are in charge, um, that's that's a long shot. So I actually think that the risk to the market is to the downside because of the elections, um, because of the midterms, because I just think the Democrats are going to get annihilated. I mean, I think all politicians spend money on things. I don't know that one party does it more than the other in terms of spending programs. It's just what the money is getting spent on. But overall, I think... I think Austin's probably right that like it doesn't really matter who who's in charge. Everyone's trying to make it look good for the next election, and that may not end up like playing out long term. Because I think there are, I mean, the the economy has been weird for a lot of years, so there's lots of um, it's it's not really behaving normally. I don't think because there's lots of capital that was injected. That's I mean, obviously results in things like inflation, but then it it artificially inflates some segments. Other other you know parts of the economy are just going to look different compared. Like if you compare it to those the parts that are sort of being manipulated, because that's what I mean. Over the last three years or whatever, the the economy has been heavily manipulated to try and you know prevent recessions and depressions and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, like it does sort of. There's only so much so many levers you can pull. I think so. I still I don't know. I'm not. I don't usually make too many comments about market stuff, but overall I don't, I don't, it doesn't seem like the economy is like super strong. Um, but I do think that there's still like funny business that people who, who control interest rates and all that sort of stuff are, will, will do to try and, um, you know, pump it back up. Nick, whatever they don't, whatever they don't make in, uh, in, in additional spending, they're going to, they're going to pull in an additional taxes. So, so maybe that'll, uh, with, with the 87,000 new IRS agents being armed, well, being ready to yeah. kick your door yeah. in. It's in the top uh, description. Yeah. So, so maybe Have money's you seen these stories lately, dude, like the yeah. people, the stories people are posting on Twitter, like literally IRS agents breaking into houses and like breaking children's piggy banks. Yeah, dude. For, uh, I heard that money. The shoe dude, that's like better. old, like that's like Roman shit. That scares the hell out of me. <laughs> that's, that's um, like, you were all, shit. you were all, all welcome. <laughs> You're all welcome to come and move to Cyprus. We don't have any. <laughs> I might take you up on that, but yeah. so w- one thing I wanted to say. So, um, I, I, you know, I think that the 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 market basically was now expecting a. I think the the chance of a 75 point base hike went down to like 37 percent. Uh, mm-hmm. With the inflation print that came out, so the month over month zero increase, according to Biden, there's no inflation at all. But it actually, was from <laughs> June to July, in reality. Um, and so, you know, so with that said, I think that that was probably the catalyst for a really positive market response. You see the VIX drop nearly below 20, so the volatility, uh, volatility index of Wall Street uh, has it's sort of the lowest it's been in in months. Um, and anything under 20 is considered relatively stable. So, so I think that that is you know majorly at play here. Now, with that said, if you zoom out, and we're not, you know, just getting super uh, excited about you know what happened a couple of days ago, the goal of the Fed stated, you know, a thousand times since January is that two percent is the goal. We're still at eight point six percent. So to, to, you know, like I, I love that we're seeing these rallies and to next point taking profits if you never went broke, and that's a great, great way to do things. Um, but if the goal is two percent and we're at eight point six, then we are still damn far away from where we're supposed to be. So to think that there's not going to be continued quantitative tightening as we continue throughout these next, you know, like 
six, seven, eight, nine months, I don't know how long this will take to reel in, is completely unrealistic. And so something else that that you know I read this week that scared the hell out of me because you know, when we're talking about energy prices and the correlation to uh, inflation and just what they're what they're restricting across the uh, the world, really. Um, so largely because of the the rising import costs, nearly one third of households in the United Kingdom are going to face poverty in the winter because of their energy bills. One third. Ooh. That's 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 what the stats are saying. So January is uh, a forecasted 116 percent rise in energy costs in the UK. So so. Um, basically, as fuel prices surge, you know that's where how, the how much are. how much percent Austin you just broke up for me. Uh, oh no, that was Clay. Uh, <laughs> no, sorry, yeah, sorry, Clay. I was no looking at Clay, but said Austin. One hundred and sixteen percent rise in in uh, energy prices coming from January. Okay. So January so, to March is supposed to be really bad. Yeah, because I'm a nerd. I yeah. I track all my spending, and mm-hmm. and my energy bills um, come every two months. So the increase in what it cost me per unit of electricity between January and July was 52% increase here in Cyprus. So every country is different. And that uh, uh, the increase from May to July was 30%, right? And this is summer um, yeah. when demand is extremely low. Um, so, you know, if they think it's going to get to 120% in winter, I can see that. Like, I don't think that that is a pie-in-the-sky number. Um, and if you're living paycheck to paycheck and maybe you just lost an income because someone got laid off, you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just it – makes, it, it makes me feel like, like, you know, the lagging indicators of recession are that we're not in a recession like a real one, like a, like a 2008-type scenario yet. Um, and so, you know, I don't want to be – I mean, just pull up Wikipedia. Everyone knows we're not in a recession. It's defined <laughs> right there for you. Yeah. So I mean I don't want to be overly overly bearish, but at the same time, like you know, you have to be realistic, and and there's a lot of really scary things that are going on that um, that really signal that things could get worse. And if we look at just like uh, discretionary spending of retail, you know, uh, like not that you know maybe the the lower income folks are propping up the the crypto market in any way, shape, or form, but when people get twelve hundred dollars stimulus checks and at multitudes and and pump that back into, you know. Robinhood or, or you know, on-chain and DeFi, like it still does something. But when <laughs> nobody has any money to spend, then it's kind of hard to move the markets. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Clay, when we get some good production on this show, man, I really wish there was like a button I could hit that would just like make you grow fur or like turn your face into a bear <laughs> while you were talking shit just now. It would have been really good, really high production value there, man. Sorry. Uh, you, missed, you, you, missed, you missed last week's show, Austin. What happened? We had Matt on here. With it can turn your face into a sloth. Ah, yeah. I, see, I love right. it. Did you not see that live? It was pretty. Yeah, I caught. I caught a piece of it scrolling on my uh, on my timeline. Um, we have the technology. I'm, I've been mostly an observer. Uh, you know, these past little whiles, I'm not really touching the market. I'm not smart enough to touch the market. I'm bad at trading. But uh, my observations are one, uh, like okay, things things don't seem good. But I'm seeing like euphoria, like all time high level euphoria for some reason. So that tells me likely people are looking for exit liquidity. One, two, like I'm starting to get FOMO and I know I only get FOMO at the top uh, as like, uh, you know, the the typical like retail perfect person to be dumped on. Um, I know to ignore FOMO and I only literally only get FOMO during like 
euphoria euphoria posting at the top, which is like very very bearish to me. Um, so I I haven't really been touching the markets. I've just been going to work and uh, you know staying quiet. But um, everything to me points to like you know this is like a, a retail slaughter fest uh, potentially. Not not maybe like the you know. Super 60k Bitcoin retail slaughter fest, but um, it, it seems like a bull trap. Uh, that's the word for it. Um, and maybe I'm just pessimistic, but like, well, reality doesn't match people's like uh, what people are acting like. Like, there's just a huge misalignment there. It's either a bull trap or we're moving into that disbelief phase, uh, which. Yeah. You know, hey, is my mic okay? A crypto AS. He must have the Austin. Uh, oh, Paul's not hearing me either. I, I, I hear you. It sounds I good. I like it. Yeah, you're more echoey than normal. I think. Really? Yeah. Honestly, it, it it it's it's a more natural sound, like as if you're speaking to the room. So you might be on like uh, a different microphone, but I I like it kind of. Okay. Interesting. Well, uh, I don't know. I'll check my audio. Nick, Nick, I've, I've got one question for you, dude. So uh, in, in all of this and, and to, to not go down the road of, of correlation is causation or that there's anything to read in, into this besides factors that we don't know. But uh, do you take anything from from Musk selling uh, 6.88 billion in Tesla shares? Like, you know, I, I always believe that there's there's certainly people that know more than we do uh, about what's happening, what's coming. Do you, do you read into that at all? Like him selling Bitcoin to fix the balance sheet of Tesla so it was positive for Q2? Or is that you know just something that maybe he needed money for something else, yeah. and there's absolutely zero to draw from it? So on the Bitcoin thing, I went and had a look at at, at their books. They didn't need the cash. I thought they, they did, didn't. but they didn't need the cash. Okay. Um, not immediately, anyway. So maybe maybe they think they're going to need it later on. But in any event, I don't know. In terms of selling his is is Tesla shares, um, you know, it's like what three percent of his net worth. Yeah. Right. Um, so. Big deal, right? It's a big number. I don't really pay attention when people sell because there's a, 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 so many reasons to sell. Maybe he needs the money because he thinks he's going to lose the Twitter case and have to buy the damn thing, right? right? Maybe he thinks the market's overvalued and he's using the Twitter thing as an excuse to cash out. All of these things are certainly possible, but it just doesn't matter. He's still got right. all his net worth in the thing. He's not going to stop working on the business. So in terms of the implications for what it means to Tesla, I think it's a nothing burger. Let the guy yeah. live his life. And, and even if he sells <laughs> half his holdings, he's still got, you know, he, he, he's got more equity in that business than any human has ever had in any other business ever. Right. <laughs> maybe, so, so give the guy a break. Yeah. Yep, Let him live yeah. his life a bit. Yeah. Yep. Hey, test one, two, three on the mic. I changed Sound it. Good. We better yeah, yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. that okay. sounds. Yeah, uh, sorry, man. It was. I ha yeah, here's what happened. I took a camera up to North Carolina with me, full intentions on doing the show while I was up there, and I lost this goddamn camera while I was up there, and so I had to order a new one. I put it in. It defaulted to the little tiny tiny microphone. You should be camera. able to use Tesla shares as currency. Maybe that's the real Ooh. solution we're looking for. <laughs> Go on. All right, we got to move on. What the hell? We're 20 minutes in. We... Yep. All right, all right. We got to talk about some some shit though, because some shit's going down. I'm following Bantag on on you know Twitter, and he slash maybe she is just going absolutely bonkers about this. Die is saying they need to depeg away from the USD. 
And then we got, here's what we got. We got uh, a smart contract being sanctioned by the United States government and USDC coming in or, or Circle coming in and freezing money that has touched it. And then on top of it, of course, you've got the trolls that are just firing off ETH to every notable address in the entire world <laughs> through Tornado Cash. So, I mean, what do you guys make of this? Like, it, it kind of seems to me, at least from what you know, I read from Jeremy Allaire, who the impression I got from him was not that he wanted to do this. Uh, and it was that, uh, you know, a threshold has now been crossed. It was that, look, guys, we have no choice. We have to do this. Um, what do you all make of this? It's sketchy. It, yeah. um, it, it changes a lot of like roadmaps. Um, it's like if you weren't building with compliance in mind up to now, um, then maybe you need to uh, rethink your, your business strategy a little. Um, and it's, you know, like going a compliant like route when you're building DeFi and when you're building anything that touches, you know, USDC or USDT or potentially DAI, like the, the issue with DAI is it's mostly collateralized by USDC. So like if DAI is now used for money laundering, you know, USDC Circle can just turn off MakerDAO's uh, CDPs and, mm -hmm. and blow up DAI. Um, so it's like, we need to kind of think of this. I, I like the word contagion uh, that was used during the three arrows capital uh, unwinding um, or the Terra Luna crash. It's like, I doubt I will, will depeg Joe Papas, but they have a really long road ahead of them to kind of um, reduce uh, downside risk right now. Because there, there's always been kind of in the back of developers' minds, the theoretical risk of like the CIA coming in and sniping you uh, with whatever, you know, you're touching centralized parties with, but with USDC, they actually have like a gun. They have a bullet that they can uh, nail your protocol with. So, um, you know, we've been kind of schizo about this a while. Um, I'm a USDC fan because it's really easy to use. And by making it really easy to use, they increased adoption. And by increasing adoption, they uh, now have their hands in like every single pot. Um, so very scary. Like it, it feels like just a show of force. Um, I don't know what they plan on accomplishing by getting rid of tornado cash. I know like, um, a lot of people use tornado cash just cause they want their transactions to be private, which is generally the expectation when you're paying people or doing something like that. Like I don't have my credit card statement, like freely available for my mom or whatever. Um, so it's like it seems useless, a little silly, uh, not really sensible, and and I imagine it's just like some bureaucrat somewhere looking at this as the problem and being sold like over a dinner, like oh, you need to just nail this. Um, so massive existential threat to like a lot of existing protocols, um, and and a huge page in the history books for like the direction of this space, the direction of compliance, the direction of regulation. Um, and like my, my whole thing is like, you know, when you hit a decentralized social network like that, they usually hit back 10 times harder. So I imagine we're going to see, you know, 10 different versions of tornado cash pop up 
um, <laughs> so they can see how fruitless these efforts are. Um, or yeah, we yeah. could just fork one and keep it private and, and not tell anyone about it and run Ooh. it straight through Etherscan and call it a day. Real quick, yeah. before before we move on, Joe Pappas, if you're referring to, uh, so there was actually a post, and I think it's in the MakerDAO Discord, where they said, we may want to consider pegging the asset to something other than the USD, meaning the Euro, the British pound, the you know Swiss franc. That's what I'm talking about. So if you were referring back to that comment, Die has not broken peg whatsoever. It's just that there was some chatter going on. And as far as I know, Circle and Coinbase are two insulated entities from one another that operate in a par partnership. Am I correct in that? Do you guys know? Anyone? I, I don't Circle know and that. Coinbase, you said? Yeah, they're two, they're two completely separate entities, right? They're separate entities, but they are up each other's asses. Um, and, you know, Circle, Blackbox, Coinbase... And the U.S. government are all kind of a little doing their thing. Little thingy. All right. Let's yeah. keep this moving. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think we have to look at kind of uh, who called in this, you know, like basically the Office of Foreign Asset Control. They deal with national security. So Circle's hands were completely tied. It's not like they could say, hey, we're not going to do this. Like they had absolutely no, cho no choice. But I think Beavis raised a really good point, which is <clears throat> if you're a billion dollar DAO and you've got all of your you know, you got all of your treasury holdings sitting in USDC and, and the government says, you know what, we're actually going to really actually come after a lot of crypto. And particularly we're going to come after DAOs we know are, you know, running the show you know, in really big ways. I mean, I think you have to start looking at other options because that just that peer, just the, the scare of that even being a possibility uh, does not seem worth it to me. So um, I think it's going to it's going to prompt a lot of decentralized uh, stable coins to be created and for good mm. reason. But MIM, you know, uh, USDT, I mean, I'd be looking at other things. So it's, it's, a, it's kind of a frightening thing. Surprisingly, in all of this, if I were to step back, I mean, MIM doesn't use USDC or do they as collateral? No, actually, Danny they're put out they're more things. of a USDT uh, stable coin, which is still uh, an issue, but not so much exposure as, as DAI. If, last time I checked, like uh, the, the FTT, the FTX uh, token, um, was a huge uh, part of the MIM backing. Um, so I imagine they're a little more decentralized. I don't imagine they're free of um, any of this because the thing is like, you know, they can freeze LPs, you know, they can freeze yep. LP pairs, they can freeze exchanges. So it's like making a token go to zero just depends on how much it touches either USDT or USDC or potentially DAI. Like, I mean, ETH is very, very heavily backed by DAI in liquidity pools. And, you know, if whatever regulatory body decides, hey, we need to snipe MakerDAO, and MakerDAO has been in kind of the regulatory spotlight for a long ass time, um, then, you know, that that takes those ETH LPs to like, you know, it, it, it just upsets everything. Like it, it's uh, really, 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 I, I, li I like the word contagion for this. It's like yeah. anything that touches any of these centralized assets or anything that touches something that touches these centralized assets is um, potentially in the line of fire, uh, whether intentionally or not. Um, so really, really sucks. Uh, and, and funny thing about USDC on Phantom is I don't think it's 
blacklistable because it's not official USDC. Uh, well, hold on though. If they can blacklist the USDC that's sitting in escrow and you can't get your USDC off of the network. That's the risk. But that's, I think, a lot less likelier than them sniping an individual party on the network. Like if you're sniping like backstop liquidity and like, you know, oh, we have the, the children's cancer protocol on Phantom. If you did that, thousands of children would die. Um, not that we have the children's <laughs> cancer protocol. Yet, but when when the St. Jude's Dow lands on chain, um, you know, there, the collateral damage is something that is, is I think, generally frowned upon when making uh, massive, like, big balls, regulatory decisions like that. Um, and Tornado Cash, like, it didn't hold a lot of money. A lot of it was, like, in and out, like, in, hold for a few weeks, out. Um, I mean, it held a lot of money, of course, but considering it, it being, like, a preeminent, um, you know, primitive, uh, not that much. So... I don't think a ton of people were like hurt too bad um, and generally high net worth individuals use it or criminals, which is, or criminals. Yeah. I mean, you I mean, know, I had to see why they though. did it. In some they, 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 they locked up something like 470 million USDC. And the question that comes to my mind, assuming there is a one-to-one -one backing, which I think circles pretty good about that is how does that 470 mil live on their balance sheet now? Are they just, is that just, are they going to turn that over to the government? Are they going to continue to invest that in the, uh, in the treasury bonds or however they do it? Like it in the back end, it could be, it's either a huge, it's either a payday for the government or it's a lovely Big payday problem. for circle, uh, yeah. who just, you know, will never have that particular amount redeemed. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. I imagine yeah. it goes to the FBI. Like the, the government is too miserly. Go ahead, Nick. Circle will get sued um, either way, whether they keep the money or whether they give it to the government. So their lawyers are probably saying, we can't keep this shit. We got to give it to the government and then, you know, we we can cite, um, you know, government pressure for the reason that we acted the way we acted because they're going to get sued. Um, and, and because, you know, a lot of legitimate people get caught up in this thing um, one example is like, for example, Vitalik used Tornado Cash, but not to launder money. He did it to send, you know, funds to people in the Ukraine and people in Russia that, you know, when the war happened, they couldn't get out. And he didn't want the other party to be able to track it. So, you know, th there are some legitimate use cases, but here's my take on it. I don't want to live in a world where some bureaucrat can press a button, pressure some company to take my money. So that's like, you know, I think, Ryan from Masari um, described that as some kind of dystopian hell. Um, I don't want to live in that world. But at the same time, I also don't want to make it easy for people that exploit a protocol and within 30 minutes cover their tracks and, and yep. no one can get the money back. Um, so both of those things, you know, we can hold both of those positions at the same time um, and, and, and try and work for solutions that, um, you know, addresses both of those things. So that's where I sit. Um, I, I don't think Tornado Cash was a, was a net positive because it was used for, 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 for a lot of nefarious activity, but I still want the right to privacy if I choose to, you know, to go down that path. So yep. it, it, it's a very nuanced discussion and it's difficult, but I, I certainly lean towards no one entity should be allowed to do this, whether that's a government or a company. And um, I, I, I think I think Circle's in trouble. I, I think their IPO is in trouble on the back of this. 
um, both from a regulatory standpoint, right? Um, they might not be able to go through the IPO process because of their connection to this. And then from an investment standpoint, you know, if the thing was valued at X, today it's valued at less than X, right? right. Because people have lost faith in it. So Circle's in a tough spot. I don't envy them. Dude, your timing is uncanny. Sorry, guys. I had to take a leak. Couldn't get around <laughs> I, it. I thought I was going to I I was gonna have to roll. Oh, Go man. Ahead. Well, you're well-equipped to do so, sir. All right. So the ETH merge, the, the ultimate in sell the news events is happening right now. Uh, scheduled for September 15th. I, you know, trust those dates as far as, you know, I could throw a boulder. Uh, but when when the merge actually goes through, what are y'all's predictions on what this means for L1s, like Phantom? Uh, it really on the results. It's not the merge isn't going to affect gas prices that much. Um, you know, demand for block space is still going to be very high um, until there is sharding and stuff like that. ETH is going to rely heavily on L2s for scaling. Um, so I don't think that really upsets any L1 narratives yet. Um, I think if we like, you know, take like, okay, so software development, you know, it's generally going to last longer than you expect or estimate. Even if you like, generally a rule of thumb is like you take your estimation and then you like multiply it by like two or by 1.5 or by 1.75, depending on how much you trust your team um, to, to execute in a timely manner um, or, or how much you trust there's not going to be like feature creep or whatever. And I imagine like releasing the Ethereum roadmap, I was like, I almost groaned. I mean, it's a really cool roadmap, but it's like, dude, this is going to be decades, you know, and you're working a little bit from behind. Um, and not to say Ethereum isn't like one of the greatest institutions of all time or whatever, but um, I think like there's a long way to go before it starts upsetting um, all L1 narratives. Now, really, like the thing that, that might upset all L1 narratives is the ETH L2 uh, narrative, um, especially with like ZKVM uh, stuff coming out. Um, I think... You Which know, is that, Polygon, that is right? Threat. That's Polygon. That? So that's Polygon, that's Scroll, and that's ZK Sync. So three L2s coming out at once. Um, right now, whales are doing pump and dumps on all the L2s, um, trying to like you know gain traction or whatever. Uh, I'm not really following that too much, but um, we're going to see a lot of L2s, and we're going to see um, a lot of adoption of L2s. Uh, you know, whether it's organic adoption or, um, you know, people running for incentives or, or what have you, because there's going to be a lot of really high value companies backed by a lot of people with vested interests in ETH um, minting incentives. And it's going to be kind of like the multi-chain boom. But um, of course, uh, it's going to be layer twos. So if, if, all L1s can weather that, that storm or, or this upcoming storm because all L1s, I, I would say, are set in stone. You know, the ones that have adoption or are going to get adoption are like they've done it. You know, I, I, it would be extremely hard to enter the market and compete at this point without like God mode technology, at least in my mind, um, whereas L2s are a little wide open. They're going to be competing tooth and nail. 
um, for for market space. And that is going to attract a lot of users. That's where like a lot of the, the big narratives are going to be happening. Um, that's what L1s need to survive. And if they can survive that, and L1 gas fees are still probably going to be cheaper uh, than L2. So, so, you know, Phantom is always going to be cheaper than Optimism or Arbitrum or whatever, uh, what have you. Um, you know, depending on how the ZK sync uh, is set up, it is probably um, going to be cheaper than that too. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, L1s are just going to be fighting every new season, like a new narrative. Um, and, and it's just going to be like money chasing all these narratives. So um, I think there's a good chance a lot of L1s, all L1s are left in the dust. Um, it just... I would not be able to tell you who. Um, well, uh, maybe if I stared at like some charts for a while, I could. But I'm just like not that interested. Um, I think so, like the clear winners are are set in stone. So a couple things I'm, I want to be. I'm interested to see what happens. I did a transaction this morning on Optimism. Cost me ninety cents. Great. Um, you know, there there seems to be decent you know, network traffic on it currently. It's certainly not a, you know, in a in, in the height of 2021 when things were insane uh, and there was just massive amounts of users. I'll be interested to see what gas is like in states like that on these L2s. Is it going to be $15? Does it go, you know, does it go from 90s? Does it go 15X? I don't know. Um, but that I think will dictate a lot of uh, user behavior because if it goes higher than that, you know, even when we saw Avalanche go to $23, $24, like people were not happy about that. And, and we saw people transition to other places because of that. Um, so I'll be interested to see what happens in truly heightened periods of usage. Um, and I also go back, I, I did a couple of podcasts this week, um, speaking specifically on Phantom. And I go back to the importance of the FVM. So like I've, you know, I've been critical as to like why there's such a myopic focus from the Phantom Foundation on tech, tech, tech. Um, and I, I think we would all agree that you can't be my, myopic and skip business developer, myopic and skip marketing. We're going to get into you know, their podcast later. But um, I think that now it's starting to make a hell of a lot more sense. Like we do pre proof of stake really well. So we're ahead of Ethereum in that regard where they're trying to transition there. But if, if you don't do something as an L1 to fix the EVM limitations, um, which I don't see any other L1s doing, by the way. The only chain I see doing it is Phantom, actually with this super hyper-focus on the FVM and fixing the bottlenecks. Um, so my point is, if they pull that off, what is that actually worth? Like that That's an L1 that, that will absolutely be around for a long time if they can fix the, the bottlenecks of the EVM, I believe. Uh, whereas I don't see anybody else really working on that. I think there, I think there are and there aren't um, different chains working on that. And there's still, even with ETH2, there's there's still going to be different properties that people might want out of a blockchain that are different than what Ethereum's providing. Um, so once Ethereum does all of these upgrades and goes to proof of stake and implements sharding and so on and so forth, what they're uh, prioritizing is decentralization and throughput on the network, not necessarily like very fast finality and some of the other things that another L1 can provide. So even like the goal in the future is still to have something like 15 second um, finality or I don't know the, the specific numbers, but for things like a game that might still not be um, necessarily ideal. You might, or there's, there's plenty of applications where you might want a faster finality 
And so a different chain with a different consensus with different properties in terms of decentralization and, um, you know, finality times and all that sort of stuff would still be desirable. And you are seeing other networks, uh, you know, approach the faster execution of the VM. Um, Avalanche is working on on that as well. They have, um, I can't remember what they call it, but they have uh, the Avalanche consensus and then they have the X chain, which is doing uh, value transfers. Then they have their own EVM implementation on the EVM chain. Their eventual goal is to have a faster EVM on running on, on Avalanche consensus. Phantom's obviously working on the FEM. But then if you look at things like Solana, it's not EVM compatible. But the reason they implemented their own client in Rust and, and did all this stuff is because they want faster VM execution. So it's not an EVM chain, but they're they're still trying to have faster um, VM transactions. It's just not Ethereum uh, compatible. And then, you know, that's where Aptos is, has their move language and they're going to be doing. So it's not necessarily just trying to make the EVM faster, but there are still other chains that are approaching, you know, how can we, we have an L1 that has really fast VM transactions and there are pros and cons to, to all the different approaches. Like you may not want to, to have all the technical debt of the EVM. So you go with something completely different, or you might look at all of the code that's out there and all the dApps and all of the tooling and all of that stuff and say, you know, some of the technical debt of the EVM is worth it because you get all this other stuff. So we're going to implement EVM and then really focus on optimizing something that's EVM compatible. Um, so I think there are other chains that are, that are still, you know, taking an L1 approach. But I also think that, you know, you're going to see a lot of uh, traffic moving on to L2s. At the end of the day, though, L2s attached to Ethereum are still bound by whatever transaction fees there are on Ethereum, ultimately. Optimistic rollups don't, don't necessarily get cheaper the more traffic you get. Like, you're still posting a lot of data to the, the main chain. ZK rollups, like Justin mentioned, I think are going to be a lot more of an impact. But I, you're also, just as you see more and more people entering crypto, I think none of this stuff scales well enough to handle a, a legit mass adoption of everybody using this stuff. So I still think there's plenty of different approaches to, to making a performant L1. There's approaches of, you know, taking an L, L2 to get the performance that you're, you're looking for, but all of these things have trade-offs in terms of security and, and finality and performance and cost and all of that stuff. So I, I think there's still going to be room for L1s for a while. Yep. Let's say one word, incentives. There you go. Incentives. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Let's talk about Beethoven for a second. These guys piss excellence, man. That's that's how I feel about the <laughs> Beethoven team, man. They have they are just so qualified and they produce quality products every single time. They just released the beta version of their V2. Did you guys have a chance to check it out? I did. It's awesome. I think I checked it out a while ago. <clears throat> Yeah, Dan Dan teased a few of us a while back uh, on what they were doing. Long story short, man, I'm 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 pretty damn pleased with it. I don't know. Ooh, very sharp. Ooh, yeah. very fast. Nice. Yeah, it's, it, that's the biggest thing, man. It is like 10x faster than than the previous uh, iterations of what they had. Um, yeah, really great. Uh, I don't know what they changed, but probably a lot. But it's it's a lot a much better user experience. 
yeah, from the way that he described it to me uh, before, it was it was a complete from what I I'm probably going to misquote this, but like a complete rewrite of how they they are processing data on the front end. Uh, so it was pretty awesome. Do you want to hear? We'll give that a better screen. Whoops. Oh, there we go. <clears throat> yeah, looks it looks great. I mean, it's like it's much better. Yeah, the, the way that it moves is a little bit different. You kind of have to get a feel for like adding liquidity and and so on and so forth. But yeah, it's definitely you know they're they're definitely gearing up for uh, for many more users. That's for damn sure. Yep. I got to say, um, the 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 guy that does all that design work or executes it, uh, V. Shout out to him. He he did mm -hmm. make that beautiful cartoon of of the six of us. Yeah. <laughs> The yellow shirt on in honor of uh, of that fine gentleman, but yeah, fantastic. You know, it, I, I just really like the look and feel of it. What I also like is if you you didn't pull it up, but if you pull up the optimism version, you you have a lot of it. You feel like you're on the same brand, but it's different. While being, mm -hmm. the, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it. I'm not a very creative <laughs> person, but yeah. but 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 you get that feeling of it's different, but it's the same, and you know there's yeah. that continuity. And I think. You know, in a cross-chain world, that's important because you maintain your brand awareness while also letting users know, you know, that you're on a you're in a different ecosystem. Are these fantastic? The comment I'll make on UI is, um, and you know, we'll get to Spirit in a minute. Also, a fantastic UI, um, and Spooky's always had a very good UI and being super fast. You get diminished returns on these things because these three teams right now, you know, from a UI perspective. They're very, very advanced. It looks great. So I think you kind of end up, you know, the, the law of diminished returns kicks in at some point where in a competitive landscape, they can continue iterating and getting better and better and better. Um, but the competitive edge erodes over time. So I, I think moving from their V1s to their V2s is obviously a big change. But um, from a competitive landscape, I wouldn't pick one over the other because of UI. They all look great right now. Um, and, 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 you know, the winners, the, 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 the DEXs that pull in the most volume, I think, you know, the core components of how they price swaps, um, and, and their tokenomics and all the other factors are more important than the UI. Once you reach that standard of excellence, which they're both, you know, which they're all three of them are at right now. Yep. Nick, there's, there's something you said there that I wanted to, to hop on. So, uh, it looks a little bit different on optimism. You know, th that, that partnership with balancer means that, you know, everything that's done over there is going to be very, very different than what's done on phantom. So, um, the, the balancer, the VE bal gauges are what's going to be driving emissions to the optimism side of the house. So like, that's a, it, so basically I, I would understand why it was looked different because there's going to be different mechanisms in place, uh, to get emissions over there based on VE bal gauges. But something that I, I saw on Beethoven, that's like a little factoid that I found very interesting. Uh, because there's always like these little things about the balancer technology that I'm always like, damn, like that's it's crazy that this is you know another yet another sort of like proof point for why this stuff is so good. Um, so uh, basically around like feed generation. So uh, balancer effectively balancer labs noticed that the, the the protocol fee collector was amassing tons of this wrap stake ETH um, from the wrap stake ETH wrapped ETH pool. So a metastable pool. You have ETH on both sides and stake versions, right? Um, and basically, uh, when you were entering or exiting the pool, the contract was assuming these different values between entry and exit, and it was taking that as a fee. 
right? And so, so 10% of the rap stake uh, yield generation was due to this sort of rebasing between the uh, interest-bearing token. So basically, what this what this means is Beethoven or, or Balancer are making money on these interest-bearing tokens and pulling them in in fees. So that would be bad for like if you're an LP or you're like, well, wait, I'm not getting my interest-bearing, you know. You know, basically interest coming back to me as an LP. But what they're going to do with that is they are taking the fees that they're getting from the interest bearing tokens and then bribing pools with them. Um, and so basically the fee from the yield is going to go towards bribes. So if you are a voter for bribes then it's coming back to you as, as a briber, uh, which increased the votes for certain pools, which is going to increase emission, uh, emissions for that pool. And then that could increase TVL and then increase fees yet again. So it's creating this flywheel effect um, off of these metastable pairs that's really unique to Beethoven. So like, that's pretty freaking cool. Um, and it's very, you know, it's, it's, there's only one AMM that I know that does that. So, uh, I just thought that was cool. Let's go, let's go. All right. So, I mean, clearly balance or tech is like, there's so much to be said for the weighted pools. Like there, I think we're all getting kind of spoiled with the 80, 20, 70, 30 pools. And I, I was on a call with this, with Nick and maybe Heesh was there. These are spirit guys. Uh, I would say four months ago. What are we in? August? Shit. No, it was probably more than that. It was probably around January, February. And they were running through all the V2 changes. Here's what we've got. And I said, guys, if you don't get a weighted pools module in there, you're going you're gonna to miss a huge segment of the market. And they pivoted. Like literally that day they pivoted. And we don't have weighted pools yet in Spirit V2, but in V2.1, which is, should be just right down the road, that's when the weighted pools are going to get introduced. But the big ass changes, um, if I were to sum this up, it's what solidly should have been, uh, but wasn't. It's got you know your variable uh, AMM, you've got your stable swap AMMs, it's got inbuilt bribing, the way the fee generation done, is done is completely different now. They've dropped it down to 0.18% uh, per trade of which, uh, how does this work? 50% goes to in-spirit stakers. 25% uh, goes to... Uh, uh, it's, the, it, 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 it's help me out here. Yeah, it's 25 to in-spirit stakers, Okay. what they call the base fee. Um, then 25% to what they call the protocol fee. Um, which is effectively a B2B type model where protocols can earn part of the fees for the pools that they originate or they create, therefore incentivizing them to add more liquidity and potentially even, you know, have protocol-owned liquidity in there so that they can own the fees. Now, that, So that's new. No one else does that. And then the last 50% is what they call the voter fee. Now, the voter fee um, is inspired by Solidly, which basically the voters, uh, in order to get that fee, you need to vote for the pools um, that generate the highest fees, right? So mm -hmm. it incentivizes behavior um, to go in there. So if you're in spirit locker, you get the base fee, and because you're now voting on where to drive emissions, you also get that 50%. So you end up with, I think, 13 out of the 18 basis points mm -hmm. um, of all of the fees generated on on spirit and and uh, you know in the video I just made like if you think about um, that's a huge difference to what it was before um, in terms of the value flowing through to in spirit um, and you know the implications for someone like liquid driver you know um, they're capturing a lot more of the pie right now 
So, you know, I, I, I think it's positive. You know, sp- spooky swaps at 20 basis points um, for all swaps, uh, whereas spirit will be at 18 for variable and, and four basis points for stable, so much cheaper. So in theory, they should be generating, you know, attracting more volume via the aggregators. Um, I don't know whether that – I don't think that's a linear relationship. Like if you cut your fees by half, your volume doubles. I, I, I don't think that's how it works. Um, there are certain diminished returns there. But in any event, I think I think Spirit's back in the ring in a really big way. Um, and sure, competitors can change things and, and you know – if they see something's working, they can copy them as well. That's that's just business. But um, yeah, there's a lot in there. Um, I, I I think Liquid Driver um, makes out like a bandit. I think anyone that wants to hold in spirit and lock it is much much better off. I think protocols now have a new way to generate revenue, um, and I, I I just think it's extremely likely unlikely that spirit stands pat and they don't get some kind of boost. Quantifying that boost, I don't know, in terms of volume. We just need to watch the data. Um, but one thing I want to just maybe toss around um, and ma- is, is this a race to zero on fees? Because a lot of the reasons that Spirit is going to get a boost here is they're just more competitive on fees. And I remember, you know, when they first gave me a look at this, in April, the proposed fee was 20 basis points to match Spooky. Fast forward four months and they decided to undercut. So, you know, uh, do we do we end up in a world where everyone keeps undercutting each other and you end up at some very nominal fee and the DEX business is not very lucrative and these protocols need to find revenue in other ways by using their, their, their user base? I don't know, but I think <clears throat> the changes that we've seen should spur that discussion, at least intellectually. I'll give you uh, a bit of a, a well-known secret. Uh, the DEX business isn't lucrative anyway. Um, <laughs> it's already like a race to how much of the value of this can we give away? And I mean, that's typical, like, you know, hyper growth strategizing, but um, like, you know, they're minting their cap tables to users at like alarming rates. Um, none of fees usually don't go to protocols or managers, maybe a, a very, very small amount. Um, and it is kind of a little bit like, the thing is um, for retail and for like, uh, you know, small fish, dolphins or whatever, like they don't care about the long-term time horizons of a company or whatever. All they care about is, can this perform for long enough to, for me to execute some exit strategy at some future point in time. Um, that's like a lot of people's mindsets when going into these, here's a fork, but the fees are lower and, you know, yada, 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 yada. Um, and I know I'm on to talk, uh, but um, yeah, it, it's just like, if you're not generating revenue and you don't, and, and you're not sustainable, um, then you're just like there to pump somebody's bags and, and eventually dump on the back end. Um, so what I'm most interested in in Spirit uh, V2 is their ability to get users engaged, get protocols engaged, and um, incentivize optimal liquidity uh, such that they actually do get the volume. 
Um, because it's not necessarily, and, and I think on Phantom, it is about fees because Phantom is like the arbitrage chain. You know, everybody goes from Binance to Phantom, uh, to, to ARB, um, all of, all of the Binance, uh, movements, which, you know, it, it makes sense. And, and a lot of people use yield aggregators. So they're, they're competing in a field where it makes sense to just lower fees. And, you know, they already have a, a solid team. Um, you know, with this release, they're going to be competing pretty well uh, with the other options on Phantom. To me, the the key point is how their fee structure works out. Um, because depending on the revenue we see from, for example, the Oath FTM pool, you know, we might add to that or we might uh, direct users there or we might, you know, do this, that, the other, whatever um, to, to get more of that revenue. So that's that's cool to me as a, as a protocol. And I, when they told me that they were going to be doing that, I was like, hmm, OK, um, but, you know, is it going to be valuable enough for LPs and users? Um, that's the question. And, and that's how you get volume is, is you get deep liquidity and um, protocols can't always uh, bootstrap all this stuff themselves. Um, so we'll see. It's really an interesting move on their part. And I know they've worked freaking hard on it. Um, and I, I respect Heesh a lot. So uh, we'll see. It is a, it is a really interesting experiment. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I hope it leads to like serious long-term viability. And that I think comes with the execution on, on the business side. Like how are you actually gonna grow this thing? Well, not only that, we're going to need to see, you know, Spooky had such a huge market share because they had the smoothest UI when Phantom first started, which is when all the projects were launching. They decided to put their LP there and it just kind of snowballed because everyone coming to Phantom was like, hey, yeah, go ahead and throw it on, on Spooky because that's what everyone's doing. What I think we're going to need to see, which I'm sure will happen at some point, is another influx of new projects uh, coming to Phantom that are getting the message up front, hey, you will get a kickback on in the form of protocol-owned liquidity on the fees if you put your LP here, which is pretty attractive uh, from my perspective. And, and another thing that I wanted to point out, there will be a governance vote to open it up to allow uh, community pools, similar to what we have on Beethoven. Uh, those can, if they... Uh, from what I'm told, if they hit a certain volume, they can then be voted into incentivized pools. Um, of course, we talked about weighted pools, but one thing that, you know, kind of in the back of my head is as an in-spirit holder, I'm going to go vote for that Phantom USDC pool because what that's going to do is it's going to pay me out in fees and Phantom and USDC at the end of every week, just like Solidly did. But if people are coming in and they truly want to bribe and the bribing system actually becomes something that's really worth doing, they're going to have to outpace uh, what Phantom USDC is paying me to get me to direct votes in their direction. And so there's an interesting like little game that's going to be played there that I don't know how it's going to play out. But I think it's kind of interesting that the way that they've they've put all that together with the inbuilt bribing system and things like that. So, yeah, hey, Nick, one thing I wanted to to just ask you is, are you sure that it was four basis points on Sibs? I actually thought they took the solidly uh, like model of, of just one basis point on stable swaps. I I, I, I could be wrong, but I think they're launching think with four, four basis points. Is it yeah. four? And it's, four is what Curve it's, uses. It's configurable it? down to one, 
with governance. Got but I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's in the article because I, I did it all today when when I did the video, so it's pretty fresh. Cool. But yeah, I think four, and and that gets split up fifty fifty with um, in spirit holders and the LPs. Um, right. One interesting thing is that if you're an LP in a variable pool and you are not an in-spirit locker, you get no swap fees, right? The, 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 you don't get any of 75% goes to either, you know, in-spirit lockers that are voting and the other 25% goes to the protocol. If the protocol hasn't reached out to Spirit um, to sign up for that service, that 25% goes to the treasury, the spirit treasury. So you're an LP, you get nothing. So it's it's it, it, the way that they've structured it is to greatly incentivize anyone that buys into what they're doing. Um, yep. and, and that's why I think Liquid Driver is a big winner. I was, I was going to say, or you go through Liquid Driver. <laughs> well, uh, not just that, because 20, now yeah. 25, so the, the emissions are different now. It's not 100% yeah. emissions going to whatever gauges are voted for. 30% right. is reserved for the important pools, Spirit Phantom, Phantom USDC. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, 20 or 25% is reserved for direct emissions to in-spirit holders. Like, it's going directly um, here. Yeah, and uh, uh, I don't remember if it's 20 or 25%, but that subsidizes. Um, so that, that goes to the tokenomics changes, which if, if we remember solidly, one of the things that was really appealing was that if you locked your solid, your solid, you couldn't get diluted over time as the emissions float into the market. Um, so that's what Spirit's doing. And the way they're doing it is with what you just said, Austin, which is they're subsidizing um, uh, anyone that's got locked Spirit with more spirit, um, except the difference between the solidly implementation and this, in solidly you had to auto-lock it. Mm-hmm. You got it and it was auto-locked. In this case, you just get spirit. You can choose to dump it and go live your life or you can choose to lock and not get diluted. So I thought that was that was a nice touch, giving people the choice. Um, but the tokenomics are, are greatly improved because of it. Um, and, and again... <laughs> Liquid driver benefits because they're going to lock Huge. every damn thing they're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jeez. there's a lot of positive stuff here. Um, it's taken them a while to do, but it, you know, now that I spend a lot of time looking at it again, I, I, I like it. There's some new stuff in there, and and we'll see we'll see if it works. And I think to your to your original um, question, Nick, I think it's all of everything is to some extent erased to zero because everybody wants. <laughs> fees to be lower and you're going to, if, if the service is this exact same, you're going to go with the one with lower fees. And I think that's where protocols and companies can differentiate themselves by, you know, better tokenomics, offering better incentives for people to provide liquidity so that that's a reason why, um, why swaps get routed through them as well. So it's, you are, there's going to be a balance between how much you can charge to bring in income to support development of other things. And so you can't really go literally to zero unless you're not doing any more um, development. And so I don't think it will actually be zero fees, but I think they are gonna be really competitive in the, you know, as capitalism is with with trying to outcompete each other. And that's one tool that they have, but then the other tool is better features, a better UX, better tokenomics, more liquidity, all of those, those things, which is, that's another thing outside of the contract changes and fees and, and all that, that Spirit did. They've also done a lot of work updating the UI, like Austin was yep. saying, to just make it a better user experience, experience if you're going directly through them, 
Um, so I think it's just sort of the natural progression of all business to com com have competitors and, and, you know, fees are one of the, the things that you can compete with them on, but then there's a whole host of other things that might be um, better about your protocol than someone else's. And that's why you'll end up getting more traffic. Yeah, you're and right. You're, you're right, Double. But, you know, I always kind of go back to, and I don't really have any data here, but my assumption is that the bulk of volume with these DEXs goes through aggregators mm -hmm. and the aggregators don't care about all of that. And, right. and that's my, that's my, well, not my fear, but I think we end up in a world where the aggregators suck up all the volume. Um, and in that world, the UI doesn't matter. Um, and all that really matters is the pricing execution. And in that world, you end up in a race to zero. But, but um, you know, well, there's another interesting get going. You still have liquidity and things like that. So you can't, a router, it's not going to send traffic to your AMM if you don't have any liquidity. Right. For right. The thing that you're that can offset the fees but, there. Right. So if you're if you're incentivizing people to use your AMM because it has a better UX and the rewards are set up this way and the bribes and so on and so forth, then you'll end up with liquidity, which ultimately impacts the price that you're able to swap things at outside of fees just because of um, slippage and things like that. So there, that's where just because you set your fees to zero, if you have no liquidity to swap something, you're not going to get any traffic for it. So there is still the other side of that, if you need to be able to actually provide those swaps. And to do that, you need to incentivize people to provide LP and, and general liquidity through your protocol. So I do think, but that's where Spirit lowering their fees is, is competitive with aggregators because now they're going to get picked when they have liquidity and, and the fees actually have an impact. Well, and two, you know, a couple directions they have to move in. One, I love the direct fee payout uh, as opposed to it being used to buy back. You, you get the fees from the pool you vote for. But also having dual incentives is going to be absolutely imperative uh, for anyone moving forward as the emission schedule goes lower and lower. Uh, we can't rely on the price of spirit to emit high enough to incentivize these pools and make them worthwhile. So I and I don't know that that was in the Medium article, but I feel I, fairly yeah. certain that that's coming. I'd say I was going to bring that up. So I, the one thing I was going to say in this conversation is, is there dual incentive rewarder contracts? Because that, that release was spooky. Beethoven's got tri rewarders. So I think I think it's coming. Yeah. I don't okay. know. But there are other it's, iterations on the way. There was nothing in the literature that was released today about that. So let's assume that that is not in V2.1 and maybe in V2.2 or later on. Um, but, but you're right, Austin. Yeah. That, that, that's something that needs to, needs to be solved. Mm -hmm. yeah. Their farms are uh, emissionless, so at least it's easy to work with. <clears throat> yeah. And also, you know, I mean, uh, whatever. When I chat with the guys, I'll come back with more information. All Let's right. move on. Good. Anyhow, e either way, I just have to say from a, you know, a personal standpoint, I've I've spent a lot of a fair amount of time with the spirit guys and, you know, in Abu Dhabi, they came to Miami. I talk with Nick all the time. I just love this team and they've been working their ass off. And a lot of people have sat in the background and said, spirit's not doing anything. And they don't, they just didn't know. Uh, and if you look at the little granular, well thought out experimental changes, like Justin called them that have been put into this, um, you know, probably the amount of QCing and, and testing and things that have gone into this. There's a lot there and I'm just proud of this team and I'm really happy to see them get this release out. All right. Uh, vertical blocks. Let's talk about it. Um, first thing before I do anything else, 
Juan is an absolute legend. Uh, Juan Monster. is absolutely really amazing. And he is just such a voice of progress around the Phantom Chain. In my opinion, he's another guy that Clay and I had lunch with him when we were in Austin. And he, the guy's just on point. And he's always willing to listen. That's the great thing about Juan is he listens. He digests information. He's kind of of that cypherpunk uh, mentality if you follow him on Twitter. Um, but the dude has been holding it down. And so he's hosting vertical blocks. What did you guys, I assume you guys watched it. If, if you didn't don't know sweat, but if you did, what'd you take away from it? Who wants to go first? Go ahead. Dylan. I haven't watched it yet, but I will. So okay. I, I can't really comment. Oh, <laughs> Clay, I, talk. go ahead. I, I think, I think double sharps. I think you watched okay, it. Oh, sorry. I watched it and I thought, I mean, I thought it was a, a good start um, for, for the, you know, for a podcast, there was a lot of good information in there. And I also think it is really cool to actually have, um, you know, Mike and Sam and sort of the people who are in the weeds of the Phantom Foundation actually planning to regularly put out commentary on what's going on and what their plans are. So I think the very first episode was, I mean, at least for me, it was a lot of stuff that I was already familiar with, but I do think it was really great to have it all consolidated and um, put out there for people who aren't familiar with with some of the stuff that's going on around Phantom. And then the thing that I, I'm most optimistic for is, you know, it continuing into the future and being able to regularly provide updates. And um, it's just, it's more, you know, people are always asking forever, but like, it is just more marketing, more, um, more promotion of the phantom chain from people who actually are really involved and actually, you know, all know all of the details of what phantom is working on and, and where they're trying to push things. So I thought it was good. Cool. Clay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I thought, you know, look for, for months we've been, we've been crying for transparency. We need transparency, transparency, transparency. Where is it? Uh, and I think that this really, accomplishes that and you know and they covered you know i, I to similar to, to double like i felt like i knew a lot of the stuff that i you know that they said but we also live this and eat sleep and breathe it we're on the show every week talking about it so and we also have a, a direct door to the foundation where you hear a lot of the stuff anyway but but guess what that doesn't mean that everybody else does it doesn't mean that everybody else watches this show and they've got four hundred fifty thousand twitter followers and we don't uh, and so if you want to broadcast that out to an audience that large, then you know what, that's, that's effing awesome. And, uh, and, you know, I thought that it was, it was very, um, uh, transparent. I thought it was very kind of, uh, open in terms of like, you know, really opening the hood. Uh, and I hope to con uh, continue to see them do it. I, I like that they address the Andre stuff. I know they've done it before, but like on a public forum like that, I think it's important. Um, you know, they talked about vertical scaling, which I think is a really a narrative that they need to continue to drive and, and hammer um, because, you know, they, Sam used the, the Didex example and their transition over to the Cosmos um, blockchain because they had to scale horizontally because they couldn't scale on Ethereum. So they had to leave. Um, and the goal of fandom is that you don't ever have to leave. So if you're, you know, if you are um, Deus and, and you actually build the shit you say you're going to build uh, and then they get into perpetuals and they do really good uh, and they can actually scale it here. Then maybe that's a proof point for phantom where Didex had to leave Ethereum with a similar type of business. So 
the vertical scaling thing to me is super important. I want to continue to see them go down that road. Like that's a marketing message. Like that's half the thing. A lot of time it's like, great, like the EVM, the FEM, awesome. Like what is your, like what's the core thing you're trying to accomplish? Vertical scaling, boom. Like let's let's like drill into that, hammer it and give some points of like, hey, by the way, you know that vertical scaling thing? We did three things in the last three months that contribute to that. And that's how we're driving towards the marketing end message. And so I yeah. thought it was really awesome. I thought Juan did an amazing job. Uh, and I hope that like Dr. Scholz comes on or Schultz. Uh, and I hope that you know, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope you, yeah, I, tell, so. I, tell, I tell you why I like it. And, and I said this to, to, to them when, when we had a few chats. But it, it, it signifies um, that they realize that this is an arena they need to compete in. And they need to control the narrative for better or for worse. Um, they've been very reactionary this year to things that have happened. And having a show like that, which is weekly, um, just by definition forces them to be somewhat proactive and get ahead of things and communicate in a more efficient and transparent way. Um, so what it signals to me is that they realise that they're competing with a bunch of other chains and instead of just, you know, kind of complaining or groaning that XYZ, you know, person on Unchained said bad things about them, they can now counter. And that's good. I think it's good for Phantom. It gets the, you know, I, I I think of it like it gives them an opportunity to show their teeth, right, when, when, when it's warranted. Um, so I think it's super positive. And um, my one suggestion to them would be, you know, to ensure that the show remains, um, you know, very unbiased and that they have people on there that might ask them some questions they might be uncomfortable with over time. And, and you know, you don't want it to turn into a circle jerk, right? Um, and, and, uh, and it might because I've seen other, you know, other chains where they just kind of talk amongst themselves and there's never anything negative said. And, and the value comes out of those nuanced discussions where there are multiple viewpoints. And if they can toss those ideas around, I think it's a huge winner um, not just for public perception, but also for bringing on new users and, you know, raising the level of trust um, uh, uh, that people have in the foundation. So, you know, I, I think it's super positive and it's a very strong signal. Yeah, and I think I think they did do that in the first episode because listening to it, not all of the things were, I mean, it was sort of addressing some of the, um, the complaints that people have had around in you know, whether it was us or other people bringing up uh, different pain points that people were feeling. And I think that they did go through most of those in the first episode and address it. But the thing, one of my takeaways is that they, I'm sure that they've been working on a lot of this stuff for, you know, going back for however long, maybe some of it is relatively new, but they did present uh, all of the, the, the different paths that they're taking in terms of business development and, um, working with VCs to get more investment money for Phantom projects, and uh, you know who's involved with with the Phantom Foundation, and all, who's how the marketing strategy is going, what the narrative is in terms of of focusing on vertical scaling for an L one. So I think they did um, address a lot of the the things that people had questions about, and I think it's. I mean, like Austin was saying, I, I think Juan is really engaged with a lot of this stuff and is interested in having this type of conversation. So I think it was a good start down that path, I think. Well, if I could make like, you know, to speak on this, one thing that stuck out to me. So there was a while there where it felt like 
March of the Elephants were going through our living room and nobody was acknowledging the elephants. And the reason I think that there may have been a little bit of distance between us and the foundation is we were on this show talking about the elephants and they weren't getting addressed from anyone. There was no official, you know, there were a few, a few things and it kind of felt like it was a machine gun of fire coming at us there for a few weeks. But I felt like they did address some of the elephants in the room. Um, If I would make suggestions to them, it would be twofold. One would be be consistent and uh, gauge the community know what the actual pain points are on the ground. And even if they don't look good to you, or even if, even if, even if you have to say, Hey, we could have done that better. Do that. You know, be a real, be real human beings and share what's actually going on because that's the relatability. That's the trust building factor. That's the thing that's going to get people to tune in every week and keep it from becoming a circle jerk. Like, you know, like Nick talked about. And I think that's, that has been to our sometimes, detriment that we have, you know, taken the, Hey, who loaned Harry 10 million phantom to to bail him out? Nobody fucking talked about it. You know what I mean? We all know you did it. Just come out and say it. Like there were a lot of other things like that. And we were addressing that. And, and I think it, I don't know, some days I think it felt like to them, we were just shitting on them when the reality is this is what's being talked about and nobody's saying anything, you know? So I would say have the balls to really jump in the arena. I mean, I see this as kind of like, the the phantom foundation i've seen in terms of like the moves they've been making it's like the first time i've seen a really sensible roadmap form even if yep. there's not really one well defined i can now see where they're going um and and it's like the first time i've been like really really optimistic in a long time um and i think juan like having a really productive optimistic like you know, communicator on your team and having him kind of rally everybody and get ev- get everybody in front of the people, um, I think it will be like massive. Um, and I'm like, you know, really proud of them for for firing uh, this off. And and I hope they can continue it every week. I haven't watched it yet. I'm not really as I'm not really much of a podcast uh, listener. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I'm like really excited and i want them to like do it right and i want them to be straightforward humble and communicate effectively uh with their audience because i think something they underestimate is like how integral this network is to a lot of our lives um our day-to-day lives kind of our long-term lives whatever um you know, like <laughs> we have to address the elephants in the room because they affect us directly. And I think they've been a lot of times insulated from that um, and, and maybe like not quite willing to address um, key issues. And now that they're like one step away from the community, um, it, it becomes impossible for them to ignore. So I would say like, you know, I hope they battle the tough questions I hope they, um, you know, be as honest and straightforward as possible because I know they have it in them. I know they're all uh, good people. I've I've talked to many of them um, at length, and I just want them to not shy away uh, from, you know, being like aggressively like hey, for Phantom, like fight for Phantom, fight for your users, fight for your developers. Um, and if you do something that affects them negatively. 
you know, explain why um, and, and explain why in a way that isn't just, you know, uh, like blank press release or whatever, engage with the audience and, and like have conversations with them and, and open things up. Um, but like Juan has been nothing but, um, you know, promising and, and doing really exciting things. So um, that's all I would say. Uh, and I, I told to Michael Kong during a meeting once, he asked, you know, why do you build on Phantom? And I said, it's because this is the grassroots chain um, because it feels like we're building alongside you. Um, and that was lost, um, you know, over the past, you know, six months or so. Um, and, and I think this is a chance that they have to reclaim it um, because podcasts are very democratic, uh, open for the people and, um, you know, being able to, to fight with uh, detractors potentially um, is uh, pretty important. And, and it's nice to see them kind of fight. Um, maybe not like, you know, head to head, but. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, honestly, the, the changes that they've made over the last, I would say, 30 to 60 days, at least the public ones, give me the feeling that, A, they've listened and heard um, and that they're somehow they're firing at a level of performance that's very, very high, like a peak yeah. performance that I've seen them fire at in the whole time that I've been around. And that's awesome. And that's like, dude, I'm so proud of those guys. They're I in the ring now. They're in. They the, weren't in the, in ring, the ring before. So, they were yeah. they were standing on the outside, you know, making their insane salaries, moving to tax havens, whatever, heavily insulated. And now they're in the ring. And that's yeah. what we've been waiting for all this time. Um, and, and I would recommend like finding people like Juan and, you know, continuing down this path and, and they kind of need to rebootstrap um, their DeFi. They need to rebootstrap their environment because, you know, a lot of people have grown away from Phantom due to business needs. Um, and, uh, you know, Phantom now has these VCs, they have this development fund. They just need to, platform little guys like they used to. Um, and, you know, I, I would like to see Phantom flourishing again. I would like to see all the little leaves and blood bugs or whatever the hell uh, freaking grow like some kind of Disney movie or whatever. Uh, so, but, and they, uh, they, a lot of this, I mean, without going into any of the specifics, I have noticed specific things that, that, you know, not not like one person or groups of people, but just little things that um, people have mentioned over the last, I guess, year at this point. To us, what like Austin was saying, have all started being addressed in the last sixty days, really noticeably. And I, like I mentioned earlier, I don't, I can't say that they weren't working on a lot of this stuff behind the scenes for a long time, and maybe you're just making it more public now. But I, I do think it's super encouraging to see uh, a lot. There's lots more outreach to a lot of the nft projects lots of um you know promotion of projects on the phantom uh twitter account there's this podcast there's um also you know the twitter spaces the, tons of them right yeah. the twitter yeah. spaces meeting like setting up all of these arrangements with vc firms uh that really does seem like a lot of the the issues that people are having and pain points that people are having in different parts of the space they are acknowledging them and addressing them and coming up with solutions. And I also, like I've said about development and lots of other things, it's not an overnight process. Like it's going to take time for people to 
um, for people to implement their plans and really get some of this stuff rolling. But I think it's, yeah, I've, I've definitely noticed the change for the better. And so, so I'm pretty optimistic. So I'm optimistic as well. I thought the first episode was great. Here's what I don't want to see happen. I don't want to see the show become a, we're not going to do a Twitter spaces. We're going to bring on this up and coming game and we're just going to talk about, you know, their roadmap and then kind of highlight them. Um, because there's other ways that you can do that within the community. Like to me, this podcast is about accountability and it's about development. And what I like about the podcast is they covered a ton of core things that are core to their specific, you know, go forward plans, the roadmap, all that sort of stuff. Next week, you can't do that. And like as someone who has to put together topics for a show every week, I can tell you it's not that easy all the time. Um, and it's, it's particularly not that easy if you're only talking about yourself. So where yeah. I'm going with this is ultimately this is the level of accountability. That you're like, damn, we better go out and get some pretty good Web2 partnerships or BD because we need some new things that are like interesting to speak of. Because if we just talk about the FEM all the time or we just start bringing tank wars on to do AMAs, and the actual like substance of the podcast is lost. So I don't know how it'll transition, but that, well, to me, I want to see that. But that's I, I that's a, a, a reinforcing process. Also, if you're if you're able, to, I mean, if you're covering yourself, then uh, I can't remember if it was in the comments. I think, but it you start getting into the position where you're cr uh, controlling the narrative and you're able yeah. to create news that you want to present and help build hype around things. And maybe right. some of the the shows, I'm sure, like where I hope will be on at some point and they can be really technical about some of the, the stuff that they're working on. You'll be um, the only one watching it, bro. It'll just be you <laughs> with some popcorn. Yeah. I will uh, say, like, my one kind of... A lot. <laughs> my, my message to them is focus on, like, your intelligence. So talk about the future. You know, talk about where you see the space going. Talk about where you see Phantom going. Talk about potential. You know, you talk about the developments all the time and and do focus on accountability and straightforwardness. Don't make it like a propaganda pipeline, because if you are the realest fellows in the space, then people will handle the propaganda and the shilling for you. Uh, and, um, you know, that's I mean, that's really all there is to it. And, and the root source of information needs to be authentic and intelligent. And I know they are capable of that. And. You know, I love seeing Juan's tweets. That is an astute ass guy, and yeah. uh, they definitely need to uh, to commit um, and and get their squad like on board um, and and talk about different departments, talk about their approach to organization, um, and brag. Like, if you're not in a position, if you're if a department isn't in a position to to brag about what they've done in the past three months. Uh, on a podcast or what they've done in the past 60 days on a podcast, then maybe think about what the hell that department's up to. Um, yeah. And, and well, that's, that's I, my suggestion. I really want to move us on from this topic if right. we can, because sure. we're an hour and a half deep. Yeah. Uh, just to summarize, great initiative, guys. I think I speak for everyone. We're all in huge support of what you're doing. And I feel like, I don't know, I feel like y'all are operating at a really high level right now. And it, it makes me feel really good to say it. So... Yep. Keep, keep it up. Reducing validator rewards. Now, this is obviously something I think was coming. I remember, God, was anyone staking back in, you know, when it was 300%. Yeah, baby. We were making so much phantom back then. And <laughs> I only had that for like a month. I'm like, uh, well, it went down pretty quickly. But, you know, if you go back to end of, uh, what was it? When was it? No, this was end of. 
it was beginning of 2020 when uh, staking came out. I didn't jump in until uh, March of 2020, but I immediately started staking and we were making 30, 40, 50 percent we were cranking out rewards it was really beautiful and then they came out with the they called it liquid staking but it it wasn't it's not liquid staking it's variable rate staking essentially uh based on locking times which really felt like a huge kick in the nuts at the time but as time went on everyone kind of adjusted to it understood how it worked it made sense and for anyone that's looking at these rewards going oh we're at 13 percent you know, lowering it is probably not in our best interest. Well, it really, really is uh, because yeah. right now we're not in line with uh, market rates for staking. We're way above them, probably 2x, uh, in some cases 3x. Three. And yeah, yeah extending the, the runway is, is definitely going to be important, not to mention the, uh, the fees, the transaction fees, uh, are pumping some income through to the validators and the stakers. So I think this is a very positive initiative and I think it's uh, hopefully something that gets passed. Yeah, I mean, I think like, uh, so Ethereum's 4%, Sol 5.5, Avalanche 8.5, BNB 5-ish. But um, if you look at like the, the, they put basically at the end that like the, the runway it would add and going down to 6% adds 4.7 years of longevity. I mean, that's like, it's that's a big kind deal. of a no brainer. Yeah, no it's a huge deal. deal. Like the massive deal. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think it's, I, uh, it's it makes more uh, sense. Are any of you uh, state currently staking? No, I have <laughs> some through Stater. I have some SFTMX, which I'm then farming in the Phantom SFTMX pool. He he he's um he's a potential problem. <clears throat> you know the reasons for doing it make perfect sense, right? An extra five years of runway seems like a good thing, um, uh, but. If you happen to be a staker, um, you may not see it that way. In fact, some of them may not see it that way. And then what happens next? It, 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 let's say it's at 6% and now you can choose to, you know, it's no longer competitive and you may choose to stake elsewhere. Um, like what, what are the implications? I, I don't know the implications. Well, we went but- through this already. We had this re- this very real scenario happened uh, back at, at I want to say it was at the end of 2020, and they they cut the staking rewards by a third, and you had to lock it up for a year. There was no lockup period. You were just cranking out rewards there for a while. And what happened is we lost a few validators. Time went on. New validators took their place. It became status quo. Everyone got used to the new rate, and we moved on. And with liquid staking now, I do believe that that's going to have a big impact in lowering the APY and allowing people to still move around the DeFi ecosystem. Personally, how, how bad does it hurt Stater's business? Well, I don't think it. it, it I don't think it is going to hurt their business too bad because all what Stater does is it redirects them to pre-existing validators, right? right. So it's right. going but to have an impact on the pre-existing validators. It's gonna, no, but then the stater rewards come from from the stater is able to do from their delegating on, on the rewards that that they're getting from staking on sure, sure de- also that that means that their revenue delegating. is going to get cut in half or, or they, they have to lower their take rate. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, or <laughs> find or make their SFTMX a super desired token to hold on the market and give it a shit ton of utility so that. Right. You know, hey, we got a nice APR over here, but you've got to go stake something with Stater to get it or buy it on the market, one of the two. But either way, it's kind of a, you know, it's a nice. And, they, and dude, they've done a really good job. Like that Stater Great team, job. boy, they are, they're, they are they're badass, man. They're yeah. good, dude. Oh, man. Yeah. So it's, it's basically the, 
the rewards are interest payments. So they're effectively lowering the interest rate um, yeah. that they're paying. But that's out. only on the it's only on the amount that you can redeem your SFTMX for. No, no, I'm not talking about for stater. I mean for for like reducing validator and staking rewards is going to have the effect of, of you know you're disincentivizing just like interest rate. You're saying we're going to lower the interest rate because we don't want people to let money sit in a savings account. We want it out in the economy being spent and, and doing things. So in a similar fashion, if you lower the rewards, you're going. there's less incentive for people to stake a validator or delegated staking or whatever the um, staking mechanism is that they're using, which means that that fund, those funds are, are elsewhere. And so you're lowering the, the native staking uh, desirability, but the people who are doing that are still interested in increasing the amount of phantom that they hold. So theoretically, they're being incentivized to go out in the general ecosystem and try and find ways to replace that hmm. um, that incentive. I think so. There's it's I, in theory you you would see uh, more economic activity outside of the native staking. The caveat that makes it tricky is that you can just bridge off of the network. So you know, you mm-hmm. could just like move all your 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 assets somewhere else and chase um, incentives elsewhere. But I think there, it's I, I would imagine you'll see lowering um, lower number of people staking, but then some of that economic activity moves elsewhere. It also does sort of highlight the fact that fees on Phantom can't cover the cost of of running the network at least in this this year. So it does seem like pushing the incentives out. Um, helps extend that runway to build up more traffic, to produce more fees, to to help run the network um, in a sustainable way. Isn't that kind of the, like, are we missing the plot here? Like to Chewy's comment or onboard new users, isn't that like, isn't that the answer? Like you've got to grow the chain. Like if you have far more users and it's and a shit ton more user ship, then fees are going to be a lot higher. And so, mm-hmm. like to me, yeah. if, you, if you want if you want to fix this problem, you need to two x your size and you need to figure out a way to get people over here. And so, honestly, yeah, and, in a lot of ways, it lights a fire under under the foundation to to try to figure that out. Yeah, and, and staking. If you're just staking Phantom, you're not actually contributing to uh, any sort of transaction fees. You just have a bunch right. of money sitting on the SFC. So that is by if you can promote some of the other uh, DeFi avenues on Phantom and, and make those attractive for people outside of the native staking, then you do that. That's a way that you actually do incentivize more transactions, which lead to more transaction fees. So I yeah. think this is probably, I would, I'm imagining that this is part of a, um, a multifaceted approach from, yeah. from the foundation. Growing your, like now that they aren't spending all this money on incentives you know, so they're reducing the rate of supply growth. Okay, that's sensible, always good. Um, that will reduce uh, demand for interest, but increase speculative demand now that the supply growth is, um, you know, reduced. So finding the margin where speculative demand can't overtake uh, demand for interest and then offsetting that with intelligent investment in the ecosystem, I think is like what you need to do over the next six to 12 months. And they're geared up to do that. It's just like, think of Phantom, like Phantom's main use case, you know, they're not generating revenue, but they are, I mean, they're generating some, um, 
but they are used as a unit of value on the network. So if they're incubating small projects using their ecosystem fund, using their VC connections, what have you, if they're incubating these small projects, these small projects create, you know, $500,000 million LPs, and then they 100x, that LP is going to absorb a ton of phantom. Um, and, and that's going to help grow the network and help push um, demand for interest through these various LPs and speculative, speculative demand um, and demand within the, the LPs and various investment vehicles themselves past whatever they're losing um, in, in their demand for staking interest. So um, I, I imagine like it will take time to regulate, but they just need to use this as, you know, like you guys said, a fire up their ass or under their ass or whatever the hell the thing is. Cheeky, <laughs> dude. Uh, uh, um, you know, start, start investing in the network, start getting small projects onboarded and start um, trying to like, you know, incubate people and, and support them really wholeheartedly. Um, and they're, they're working on that a little. And I think this podcast is going to be huge. I think they should focus on growing it because that's such a good place um, to platform uh, like smaller projects and, and help get them, you know, their network effect started. I'm pretty sure they made 32 million this year, by the way, on fees foundation. So yeah, it's, it's been reduced the last couple of months, but they are, uh, I think they're doing all right. Peanuts. In, in Peanuts. payments yeah. to validators. Uh, no, is no, no, that no. them the making foundation it? themselves? Yeah, yeah. Fees where from what? Where are you pulling uh, this data? Hold on. <clears throat> well, while you search for that, so <laughs> the liquid now that Spirit Swap V2 is launched, Liquid Driver, we should start seeing the shadow farms here soon, uh, which is going to now anyone that that has had any significant contact with Doctor Liquid knows that the guy's he's pretty creative uh, in the things that he puts together. I just love Liquid Driver. I, I obviously I hold some of their tokens, but um, these shadow farms where they're farming and they're using the farming rewards to instantly grab the governance tokens that are then getting, I believe, staked for additional APR. Like there's a whole bunch going on here, and it's going to create this really interesting flywheel effect of uh, essentially yanking tokens off the market, but also diminishing uh, the output of LQDR on the site itself. Uh, which for anyone that's holding liquid driver token is going to have something to say about that. Does anyone have any opinions on this? Nick, I, I, I kind of feel like you might. Um, well, I, if you just think of it like a convex layer um, on top of spirit and on top of, you know, other things they do that are similar to what they've done with spirit, um, you end up in a scenario where if you're just an average punter and you don't have any locked spirit, um, you end up putting your LPs in liquid drivers farms. Like that, that, that's the best place for you to be able to put your tokens because you can earn the max boost APR. You can't get it on your own, but you can get it via proxy through liquid driver. So in that world, um, you can just see a lot of, a lot of action flowing that way. Um, and, 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 you know, combine that with, the 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 changed you know tokenomics and the fee distribution on spirit a ton of value just ends up going through into into liquid driver so you know we'll see what it looks like when they launch but you're right dr liquid kind of can see around corners and um and he, he's playing to win so you know i think one of the quotes that they've been using in their deck talks is that 
the best place for your spirit LPs is liquid driver. That's kind of the selling point. And, and I think they're right, um, especially for average punters that don't want to have <clears throat> locked in spirit tokens. Um, yeah. And as you can see, this is going to be also a big boost for the spirit swap, the new spirit swap platform. Obviously, they're working you know, in tandem with, with Dr. Liquid here. So hopefully, yeah, you're right. Flywheel does feel like one of the new DeFi buzzwords. And I don't even know if it's an accurate DeFi buzzword, but it does feel like one of those. Once a year, flywheel, real yield, like all these buzzwords just get, like the thing is there are like three viable market categories in DeFi, maybe two peripheral ones, and then like five or six experimental ones. So like, you know, and all of them are like eating from the same pie. Uh, so it's like I see like the same narratives, like you know, washed, rinsed, and uh, repeated like every six months to a year. It's, it's kind yeah. of funny. Like uh, work, Compound was the first to say flywheel, or actually synthetics, and then Compound. Maybe, maybe I'm getting them out of order. And then uh, so that was 2020, 2021. Um, you know, Ohm guys were saying it nonstop, and. The real yield thing, something by a different name. It's like, bro, just companies that make money are good. Thank you. And companies that know how to grow effectively without overspending are good. Thank you. Uh, you know, we don't need to, I think, to dress it I, up. I think, I think Bezos came up with it in, in describing his vision for Amazon in, in, in the late 90s. I really? Think, I think Dude. so. He's um, kind of scary. The, the, the corporate yeah. buzzwords. <laughs> hey, have, have, have you seen photos of this guy recently? Dude, he, he has to be on like he, trend or something. He's a Terminator. I think he's like he's getting oil dude. down on his boat. Yeah, yeah. dude. Well, why not? Why wouldn't he? Uh, he's he right. Yeah. As far yeah. as like hey, a super billionaire, though, I think, you know, probably one of the best physiques. You know, I think his style, pretty humble, normal, uh, especially for like an old guy. <laughs> You know, I give. You know, I'm not a, a massive fan of Bezos, but one, he's efficient. Two, he makes good decisions, and three, uh, he doesn't look like a blob of weird goo. He's, like he's not, he's Welcome he's to Billionaires Elon Unchained. Now, where we just we just rate the bodies of billionaires on this show. What do you have to say, Clay? I know we're I know we're super late, but like here's here's one thing I want to throw out there. So so curve massively influential, so impactful, you know, so necessary. Convex owning fifty one percent of curve supply, it's a big deal. You can see why everybody that wants to stake convex, there's all type of rewards and incentives tied into it. So fine. Spirit swap, not as much adoption yet. You know, we're very hopeful this is gonna be uh, changing super soon and like you know with the V two. My question is if spirit swap goes cross chain. And, and Liquid Driver is that convex layer for them who holds, you know, by this time as they continue to compound fees back into Insphere and just keep locking perpetually and their, their, their share grows, uh, then Liquid Driver becomes even more interesting, I think, because they go and say, hey, we own 40% of all in, locked Inspirit. You need to bribe through Liquid Driver if you want to like, you know, like they, there's a whole bribing game that I think opens a door, particularly on another chain uh, for liquidity incentivization. That is not at play yet, and I will be damn interested to see if that comes into that comes into the realm uh, sometime yeah. down the road. Interesting theories on how this might play out. You know, another interesting theory and a question that I had, and I specifically asked you guys to save this topic until I got back because I really, I just wanted to hash it out. So we have a permissioned L2 on Tomb Chain, and 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 I want to know: is there a place for this type of thing? Within, I mean, obviously there is a place for this type of thing, 
But is there a, a real use case for permissioned chains in this sense? Now, the, what I make up, the story I make up, I have no proof about this, but obviously being that this is a permissioned chain, they can blacklist addresses. You can't get on it without an application process and a KYC to Harry and his team. Uh, if What happens if somebody's like critical on Twitter and their account has been doxxed and you know, all of a sudden somebody just goes, we don't like you anymore uh, or something of that nature. And I wonder if, are these risks being shared with uh, people that are moving assets there or, or not? I, I really am interested in hearing everyone's opinion on this and, and whether or not it's just another facet of the banking system moving oh. into crypto. I, I don't um, know. The I mean, specifics, but I, I think, I mean, one use case for it is, if you want to, like sort of the opposite of what you were saying is if you did want to adhere to regulations that did require KYC or some sort of permission, chain, then you need something like this so that you can freeze someone's account if they do whatever. I also, but I, I'm pretty sure Harry's in the UAE or somewhere like that, which doesn't have a lot of those regulations. They're pretty loose over there, yeah. I don't, I don't know that that would be the reason why they're setting this up. So I don't, I don't actually know the thinking behind making it a permission chain. Well, I mean, like if they can, if they can freeze your assets or block or like block list you, obviously that's, that's a terrible thing. So if that's the reasoning, then that's, that's not a positive. If their thinking is that, Hey, we want to be able to, to actually get United States customers because we're going to grow Felix exchange to be, you know, global, including the U S and that's the reason that they have to think forward and say, we're going to be, a permission chain because they will require KYC and all those things, then that would, that would make sense. So, you know, I guess it depends on what I mean, the... Uh... What if it's both of those things? That's the catch. Yeah. yeah. And that, that was sort of what I was saying is there, I, I can't think of use cases where regulations would require some sort of permission chain. And so if, like you were saying, you're trying to get into the US or somewhere, um, then that, that does make sense. But to your point, you sort of have to wonder like what, I mean, uh, a centralized exchange is effectively a permissioned environment as well. So what advantages do you have on this L2 over using a centralized exchange directly? Um, things like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I would, I'm not familiar enough to say exactly what their, what their plans are. What, what brought this up for me was we had uh, the Nomad hack and then somebody, some account, it's, a, it's like a Tomb Chain specific account. They tagged me. I cannot remember their name, but I had to screenshot it because it was so funny. And they said, oh my God, permission chains are the solution to this. We can just blacklist addresses. And it was just so funny to me to see somebody use those words in regards to it, it is the complete opposite end of why crypto was created and the purpose behind it, it it had the same feeling of oh you forked my publicly available code on github i'm now going to send the cia after you and sue you like that's it had the same kind of feeling to it and that's the reason i wanted to put this in here and chat about it so we really don't have to go any further i, uh, I think i i think the, the the fact is centralized exchanges are fantastic businesses the two richest guys in crypto run the two biggest exchanges right so full stop. Yep. Harry's an ambitious guy. Um, he understands how these business models work. And he realizes that in order to get mass adoption for a centralized exchange, it needs to be permissioned and it needs to operate the same way that um, these other business models work. So I think that's it. You know, some of the yep. implications of, of dealing with a of, of, of 
you know, transacting with a centralized entity is, yeah, you could get blacklisted, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, and I'm no fan of Harry, but I, I, I don't think it's going to be because someone wrote bad things about him on Twitter. That, that's just not how you run a business, right? So I think it's well, more around the – Well, well, I mean, I saw some Discord Maybe. messages about, you know, banging somebody's mom that really made me think twice about all that. So I don't really know, dude. Yeah. I'm not going near it with a 10-foot pole, but what I'm saying is, you know, the intention, in my opinion, is to go after the huge exchange market, um, and the only way you can do it is by having KYC and, and, and operating in that world. As Bebus mentioned earlier, there's not much money in decentralized exchanges, right? Um, so, you know, he's, he operates in that world, and, and I think that's what it is, but... Didn't Obviously, if you, enga- if you engage with that, you're taking certain risks. But didn't they also implement like native tornado or shade cash uh, on the bridge? There was so, something about that. Yeah. So these do seem to be exclusive, both, like mutually exclusive of a permission chain with, um, with anonymous transactions. So who, who knows, knows what Who knows? Who knows? Just proceed I'm with caution. what they plan for them. But, I, you know, to some extent, even though some of us might not use it, I do think it provides, it is a, a potential avenue towards other use cases that do require KYC, some of the, you know, more direct securities trading or something like that. So they could take it in a, in a cool direction that does open up opportunities that you don't see on, on permission chains. But there's obviously risks that come along with it. And it is sort of the full circle um, you know, back to, to why crypto was, was originally in, invented. And we've sort of, I, or at least I've seen a lot of that playing out this year of people saying like, Oh, I figured it out. The solution is a database. And you're like, yes, databases are a lot faster, but <laughs> like, there's, there's a reason why. Like, we've we known this for a while. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm curious to see where they end up taking it because there do seem to be lots of interesting features going into it that don't necessarily make sense to me, but could end up being something cool. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, Clay, Clay was telling me not to, not to go down this next uh, little rabbit hole, but I'm sorry, I'm going to do it because it was always on there and I've kind of been waiting for it to show up. So a little announcement, uh, episode 50 of Phantom Unchained will be the final episode of phantom unchained specifically we will be moving towards the rebrand uh now i i say it's the final episode assuming we get all the copy and all the designs and everything done prior to that but what clay do you want to kind of give them a tldr on what we're we're going to be expanding the channel into yeah happy to uh are we are we dropping names or like what, what no no just give them, give them the overview writing a medium article really what that? i'm hoping for okay. is between between today and next episode uh, yeah. you know, I really want to gauge what's important to the viewers. What do you guys really, really like? Like what is super valuable to you? What would you, uh, like to see? Um, it's actually yep. <laughs> Synthwave. You're very close. It's actually Nick, uh, who's just going to be showing off the various shirts that he has in his closet for an hour. Um, I mean, no, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> and, oh, dude, I swear to God, I thought you held up a, a weed pipe just now. No. Uh, it was a, it was a corkscrew, but I thought you were about to start smoking weed. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a sommelier. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Clay. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so yeah, I mean, a, a massive amount of new stuff coming. Um, a full rebrand, multiple shows a week, 
multiple types of shows, shows that have all different, um, you know, completely new themes, uh, things that are on timers, like there's going to be structure to different shows. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to really segment things out and make it far more robust where, you know, on any given day, there could be up to three different things to watch um, and, you know, expanding things quite a bit in terms of personnel. And, uh, and so it's going to be really exciting. And uh, we're going to kind of roll out. I've, I've got written summaries of all the shows that we'll be rolling out into probably a Twitter thread or Medium article or something uh, that, that details all the different things that we'll be covering. Uh, and obviously, everything will be cross-chain, so it'll be uh, a lot to talk about. And uh, but yeah, so as as of this moment, there are there are five different shows that are are going to be uh, available to everyone. And uh, this show will transition to a biweekly show on Tuesdays and Fridays, uh, at the, probably at the same time, I, I think. Um, and it's going to be cross-chain fully, so um, a ton of new stuff coming, and it's pretty exciting. And 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 at some point, Shark Tank has to be on that schedule. Uh, <laughs> Whale Tank yep. or Amoeba Tank and Nick, uh, we need you. We Whale need sharks. You, we need your brain on this, man. Clay, are you saying that 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 a cross chain future is inevitable? Inevitable. Is, is <laughs> I just want to be clear. I, I, yeah, I would. I would never. Uh, I would never allude to such. But yes, I believe that's exactly. It's exactly what's going on. So pick a um, side, man. Pick a side. <laughs> <laughs> Quit riding the fence, you bastard. Oh man, dude, great show, gentlemen. Yeah. So we're gonna be we're gonna be making this transition. I'm I'm very interested to hear from you guys. Like, what what have we done that you guys liked? What have we got done that you guys just thought was stupid? Um, you know. Share, share it with us uh, because we want to create a platform that is, uh, you know, and we're still going to be, we're still going to be covering Phantom News. Like it, we'll still talk about it, uh, but we want to create a real robust platform that is useful to viewers. Um, that is something different, right? It's just, we're real humans. We're, we're getting down to it. There might be a one-on-one -on -one show with, you know, the heads of the various L1 or L2 networks. Uh, maybe like you said, something with a two-minute timer. Like what? What was that show called on Sports Center? Pardon the interruption. <laughs> Can't Pardon the no, interruption, man. Give, We're just nobody gives the show names now live. No, I no, it's fine. Names, but I, I really do. I really do want someone to turn your face into a bear when you start shit talking. All right, <laughs> let's let's get the hell out of here. My name's Austin with FTM Alerts. With me as always, Nick Dracon, Crypto Clay, Justin Beavis, and Double Sharp. We're gonna get the hell out of here. Thanks for tuning yeah, in, everybody. Yeah. Love you guys. Everybody. Peace.